Yeah, so really sad news coming out of Marvel Studios this week with Chadwick Boseman passing away. Yeah, and cancer too, which is not a good way to go, colon cancer. So. Yeah. Oh, God, that really fucking sucks. Black Panther was really good. It was really good. It just didn't have as big a budget behind it as it probably should have, so the CGI was a little lacking, but everything else, that movie was fantastic. That surprises me, because... I don't know, maybe I don't have an eye for CGI, but like I thought it looked pretty dang good. Oh, no. Especially considering the if the budget was a little lacking. I don't know why they didn't pump money into this, because someone should have realized, like, we have a black director making a superhero movie starring a black man, like, this is probably going to be huge no matter what. Right, it's like the right time for it. Yeah. Or maybe a little late, late for it to come <laughs> out, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, honestly, yeah, anything at this point is too late, but... It's something people want. Exactly. I agree. And all audiences, I mean, even as a white man, I like seeing a black protagonist every once in a while. Like, come on, give me give me some strong black characters. Jesus. Yeah, and with, you know, the sort of, so, some of the social unrest, it has its merits there, but also as a story, I think it's really provocative. And the, what are they? Where they come from? Their like backstory, yeah. Wakanda is really interesting because it's like this tucked away place that's like super technologically advanced, mm -hmm. but kind of stick to themselves for for the most part. And now they're kind of coming out of that. So I think it's really cool. I liked it a lot. It was a great movie. The whole anti-hero story with Michael B. Jordan, like that was a fantastic arc. It's just really fucking good. Yeah, he he was a good villain. He was a fantastic villain. I think I've seen Chadwick, Chadwick Boseman. We've seen in some other things. So Black Panther, Captain America Civil War, The Avengers, also Jackie Robinson. Right, he played Jackie Robinson. That was good. Gods of Egypt. I think I watched that. He's in Justified. Uh, I haven't watched Gods of Egypt. I've heard that's a wacky. It's a wacky one, but kind of fun. Oh, uh, yeah. He played Jackie Robinson in 42, which was really good. Yeah. Oh, he was in an episode of Fringe. Ah, I love Fringe. Castle. Lots of TV shows. <laughs> Message from the King. Sounds kind of familiar. Oh, he played James Brown in Get On Up, too. That was nice. A, that was a good performance. Did you ever watch that one? Mm -mm. Oh, man. I didn't realize it was Chadwick Boseman that played him, but he was fantastic. Like, he just kind of became James Brown in that movie. Those character studies are so always interesting, especially if you have someone that's so, like, iconic. Not to overuse that word as James Brown, but, you know, he has very particular, like, mannerisms and how he performs and, mm -hmm. you know. And... and in a biopic sense, like having to play younger him, then becoming famous, getting bigger, and then his kind mm. of downfall with all the drug abuse and everything. Yeah, it was a really good movie, and he did really well in it. To check it out. He's also in that new movie, The Five Bloods, by Spike Lee, which I haven't watched yet. I keep meaning to, but haven't had a chance to sit down and watch it. I'm not a big Spike Lee fan, but we'll see. Well, Chadwick Boseman, we'll miss you, man. You were great to see on screen, and I'm sad I won't be able to get any more of that. Now that we're past the sad part, I guess we can do the show. Welcome back to Real Specific. I'm Jake. With me is my friend. Hey, I'm Klaus. Sorry, we're still trying to get over our sad, pathetic cold open. Oh, man. So this month we're continuing on with our 90s Shakespeare adaptations. This week 
It's Let the Devil Wear Black, 1999, directed by Stacy Title. So as far as uh, subgenre themes go for this month, what Shakespeare play are we covering today, Klaus? This is loosely based on Hamlet. Tragedy or comedy? I think tragedy. <laughs> yes, sure. definitely a tragedy. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, how faithful are we being to the source material here? Just like brief overview. Briefly, you know, it's in a modern setting, obviously, and not medieval times. There's some shared languages, but are almost used more like quotes pushed in there. The plot is loosely pretty similar, but it's not like the movie we just watched, Romeo plus Juliet, where they're literally using the word for word for the most part. All right. And as far as the 90s of it all, it's fairly 90s. <laughs> 1999, yeah. right right in the heyday. So, woo! It's 90s in the... I feel like there's two sides of the 90s vinyl record. You know, one side is like kind of wacky colors, the Pop-Tarts, like backwards hats, skateboards. And the other one is just like gritty and dirty and torn jeans and baggy clothes. <laughs> I think 90s and I think of a few things. So grunge, obviously, but also you had kind of like the beginnings of the whole golf and industrial golf kind of feel coming up. And a lot of movie makers especially really like to play into that aesthetic. And then, of course, as far as writing goes in the 90s, I always think extremely sarcastic, witty, fast-talking. Mm. That's the kind of writing I remember from watching shows and movies from, especially like later 90s, early 2000s. It seems like there's always at least one character that fit that kind of description. Yeah, a little edgy. Mm -hmm. A little edgy. Very, very edgelord back in the <laughs> late 90s. <laughs> Oh, the 90s are just a bunch of edgelords. So before we get too deep into this movie, I just do want to put a little statement out there. We're going to be talking a decent amount about the director, Stacey Title and her husband, Jonathan Pinner, because they wrote this movie together. Jonathan Pinner stars in it and Stacey Title directed. So we're going to be talking a lot about them and their influence on this movie because they clearly had a lot to do with the production of the film. I recently found out that back in the end of 2018, Stacey Title was diagnosed with ALS and she has had a pretty quick decline as far as motor function and everything. From what I understand now, she is completely paralyzed, you know, speaks using computer that tracks her eyes, eye movements and everything like that. That being said, she's still pushing through. She is currently trying to produce a movie that should be coming out, uh, I think, next year or something like that. Like, she's still, still trying to get it all put together and actually made, but a real big feat for someone that is completely paralyzed and homebound entirely. So, big ups to her. That being said, we are still going to talk about this movie the same way we talk about all of our movies. Stacy and Jonathan, if y'all ever hear this, you know, we're probably going to say some things you don't like, and I guarantee you it's things you've heard before, because no critic was ever nice when you were <laughs> fully abled, and we're not going to pull our punches it's a shitty situation that you're in now, but this movie has some problems. Also, you directed Bye Bye Man, and I'll never let that go, so. Bye Bye Man. <laughs> don't think it, don't say it, don't think it, don't say it. No, everyone. It's like The Ring. 
You know, like you watch the movie and you will die. It just takes anywhere from like 40 to 80 years, depending on your age when you saw it. It is effective, though, for sure. (laughs) Yeah, the Bye Bye Man will do that to you. Eventually, you will think it, you will say it. I'm kind of hoping I can plan my my last words on my deathbed to just be, don't Mm. think it, don't say it. Like, if I I can time that right and keep my mind about me, that's that's what it's going to be. Your will isn't just going to be a treasure map? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well, obviously, because the treasure map will be to find the riches I never accrued. There's just, like, two socks full of quarters and, like, half a bottle of scotch (laughs) in a hole somewhere. (laughs) You're telling me I'm going to leave half a bottle of scotch somewhere? Fuck that. (laughs) But Stacey Title, thank you for everything you have done. You've given me hours and hours of entertainment with Bye Bye Man alone. And uh, Let the Devil Wear Black is going to be my new source of entertainment, at least for the next few weeks, as I get to talk about it to everyone I know repeatedly. I have a little bit of a trivia I wanted to start out with this movie, if you will let me. Yeah, go ahead. Did you know this was actually a prequel? I did not. What is the sequel? Uh, It's, what's it called? It's a movie and fashion has evolved. Oh, I think you know. Let the Devil Wear Prada? Yes, Let the Devil Wear Black Prada, (laughs) starring whatever her name is, Julia Childs. Julia Childs! (laughs) Jesus. I think this is the second time. No, uh, some other episode of the podcast, you said The Princess Diaries instead of something else, which is why we talked about Anne Hathaway, but now we're talking about Anne Hathaway. (laughs) And The Devil Wears Prada. Anne Hathaway listens to this. Like, send, send me, me your email. number yeah <laughs> send me a neat a strongly worded email i guess and uh send me your number i will let you take me out to dinner anytime really this is based on hamlet which is a play by billy shakespeare and the very general synopsis is a ghost of the king of denmark goes to his son hamlet to avenge his murder by killing the new king his uncle there's some madness involved and some death and some revenge plots, but that's basically the synopsis of Hamlet, and that's kind of the synopsis here. It's just the characters' names and the backdrop has changed. At one point, I was finding myself just being like, can we just use the play characters' names and change everything else? Because mm-hmm. <laughs> I was having a little trouble keeping up with who was supposed to be the analog for who for a little bit, but it it gets fixed. You know, it's fine once once you get deep into it it doesn't bother me as far as main character go characters go we have jack being played by jonathan pinner which is our hamlet character we have uncle carl played by jamie sheridan which is hamlet's uncle the quote-unquote new king so we have julia played by mary louise parker as our ophelia analog and we have jacqueline bissett playing helen which is hamlet's mother's character those are our main people. We have a lot of good actors in this movie, which we'll touch on some of them as we reach them in the movie, but a lot a lot of great people in here. Yeah, and to touch on some of the themes we'll kind of be seeing, and this is both kind of for Hamlet the play, and we're kind of seeing if it's in the movie or not, and how it's represented or not. The idea of revenge and justice with his father maybe being murdered, and what is justice, what is revenge, what's the cost when death or murder is the cause of revenge, and then the ultimate goal of revenge as well, the death of someone else. Uncertainty about 
death and the afterlife, about motives, about facts, especially when you have a character that is maybe indecisive and also maybe mad <laughs> sometimes. Yeah. And is it, are they just pretending to be? Are they actually, are they turning it on and off? Are they justified and their their emotions are just heightened because they're actually onto something and their uncle actually killed their dad? Um, and so there's a big, there's a bunch of uncertainty there of what is the truth and what mixture of the truth is it? Death, spirituality, you have the skull fragment, which we'll touch on, you know, represents the skull that Hamlet messes with. Madness again. And then the title is Let the Devil Wear Black. The quote in the play is longer, but the extended version is, Let the devil wear black, for I'll have a suit of sables. Now, the suit of sables refers to a mourning garment, I believe, but it's a black garment with that's lined with fur. And it implies that Hamlet doesn't believe the suit of sables to be a black suit, but it actually is. And there's numerous ways you can interpret that. Does he think the devil is bad and he's wearing the black suit and he's good and he's not wearing a black suit, but he actually is? That's just lined with fur? Um, or or is he just unsure? Does he not understand the representation of the, the sable? Again, getting into that uncertainty. I think you can interpret the play and this movie a number of different ways. And that's one of the big themes, I think. I think Shakespeare was really playing with the gray areas throughout all of this play. Mm -hmm. I think this movie hits on that pretty well with some characters and then not so well with others, as we'll see. I don't think our Jack character is too conflicted or confused about which side of history he's going to be coming down on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't think he's confused about that, even if he's confused about some of the details of it. Yeah. So, uh, let's jump into it. I, I appreciate your little run-through on the play and themes there, because, like I said, I don't know shit about Hamlet, so I'm gonna need some help on some of this. But, uh, hey, look! Our movie has a cold open. Shocker. Also, oh, wait, before we get into it, I do want to say this is labeled as a horror on Amazon. I, I don't really know where they're getting that from. <laughs> uh, on IMDb is labeled as a crime thriller drama, which is much more correct. Yeah, maybe if you had a computer that just like look at the colors <laughs> on the screen but yeah, it kind of looks like a horror. It's dark and gritty and everything's red and And a black. bunch of people die, so must be a horror, right? Yeah, <laughs> must be a horror. <laughs> so yeah, Amazon, get your shit together. I don't know what's going on over there. But yeah, so we have a cold open. Jack's running through the street into a cemetery and falls over. We've talked about cold opens in the past, especially in last month's horror segment because horror movies love doing cold opens like this where it shows you something that's going to happen later in the movie. This one, however, serves literally no purpose at all whatsoever. Like it, it's it's showing quote-unquote action, but it's just him running and then falling over. Mm -hmm. We learn nothing. At least in Don't Breathe, we learned that, okay, at that point in the movie, whenever we get there, Blondie is still going to be alive and Blind Man is going to have the upper hand, right? We learned something. Right, at some point. Mm -hmm. in, in this, we literally learn nothing. It's, it, it's exactly what I just explained and nothing more. 
that kind of brings up another thing that you see throughout this movie is there's a lot of like surreal scenes of Jack either dreaming or just like uh, hallucinating or imagining or daydreaming or whatever he's doing different things happening and sometimes there's sometimes I'm unsure like what is what's actually happening and what's not some scenes it's very clear this is a vision and other times I'm unsure you know is someone actually saying something or does he think he hears something or what's going on I felt some weird qualities and then you have these odd things like we'll dive into it deeper later but like he sees a message written on the mirror and at first I'm like okay he's just hallucinating that but then his mother's in the same room later and she can see it too so it's like okay so is he just crazy enough to write that on the mirror himself and think someone else did it or did someone else actually do it i it's it's a little inconsistent a little too inconsistent i guess for my liking but Mm -hmm. we're also dealing with life and death and ghosts and whatnot so the surreal yeah and what's real what's not what's spiritual was did he write it because he's just crazy or is that how his dead father as a supernatural ghost is communicating with him so it does play into the uncertainty of the of that concept at mm-hmm. least but it is hard to follow i think both shakespeare and our writers for this movie were playing with a lot of big ideas all at once instead of focusing mm-hmm. in on one or two and i think the messages all kind of get muddled when you're messing with too many ideas yeah, I th- I think, and like I said earlier, you really, with this much muddling of different ideas, you could take this however you wanted to take it. Right, which might have been Shakespeare's point. I think he was brilliant enough to possibly pull that off, especially because he was always writing plays for everyone from royalty to the most impoverished, you know? He was trying mm-hmm. to make stuff that literally everyone could enjoy while still getting across the points and themes that he thought he needed to get across it's out there well we'll see how it plays out in this movie at least i can't really speak to the play itself so after our cold open we're with jack and two of his friends in the car and they're having this whole i don't lie conversation we have norman reedus as one of his friends who's fucking fantastic he's one of the brothers in boondock saints and walking walking dead Dead is what he's most known for now so i I love norman reedus i think he's great in this movie i didn't recognize the other friend uh randall battenkoff some of the conversation snippets we see with them feels like conversations you might have or might hear like late at night like two in the morning and everyone's drunk and they're like passionately debating something that doesn't really matter that much (laughs) yeah uh, a lot of these conversations sound like something me and drunk philosophy or something would talk about while (laughs) shit-faced yeah (laughs) drunk philosophy yeah it's like you're at a halloween party and everyone's gotten a little liquored up it's like 11 11 30 at night and then somebody has to be that asshole that brings up a political conversation. And so everyone is just getting way too passionate about whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I did, though, when he said that, I tried to look at throughout the movies like, did he ever lie? He's a pretty straightforward guy, but I think 
that's because he doesn't care. I don't, I don't think he mm-hmm. cares enough to lie. And he's so self-absorbed, I don't think he understands or cares about any consequences to anything he does. Because if it doesn't affect him negatively, he doesn't give a shit. Yeah, I, I agree. He's, he's an ass. And even when it does affect him negatively, he knows that there will be a comeuppance. And therefore, he feels justified. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they're riding around in the car. They stop at a red light. Uncle Carl pulls up with his stripper girlfriend in tow. We have this whole little, well, we don't like each other conversation. Just to really drive home, we don't like each other. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, you're kind of getting the whole setup in these first several scenes of like, Jack is part of a wealthy family. His dad used to do something maybe questionable, maybe mob-esque, something like that. Who knows? His dad died, supposedly of a heart attack. He doesn't like his uncle, who's an asshole. Uh, But Jack's kind of a spoiled shit in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. The one thing that kills me about this movie is we're jumping from place to place really quickly, and all the scenes seem to just be rapid-fire at your face. Well, kind of like Romeo plus Juliet, where the first half of that movie or so it was just fire 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 you were just going 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 Mm -hmm. going and once again i think it's because you're trying to fit an entire five act shakespearean play that would probably take what three to four hours to play out on stage and we're trying to fit it into a two-hour movie Mm -hmm. and then add in like you say all those scenes and then add in the visions or the hallucinations or whatever that take you somewhere else again it's just another jump to somewhere else and just to be clear this is an 89 minute movie so whereas romeo and juliet was just over two hours this one isn't even 90 minutes and we're trying Mm. to fit an entire play into it basically uh so yeah just one weird movie making thing here when uncle carl pulls up for some reason it goes into slow motion for like all of 10 frames for no reason i don't know what the fuck that was about there's a lot of little weird shit like this that i'm gonna bring up throughout the movie that was just strange editing choices or some of them were good editing choices but the film that they had wasn't made with that editing choice in mind so it doesn't Mm. work and we'll talk about a few of those throughout the movie here. And uh, that that brings up something that I didn't notice, but it may be worth thinking about. One of the lines from Hamlet, um, actually leading up to Let the Devil Wear Black, is Hamlet saying like, oh, it's only been two hours since your family member died and they're already over it. And then the person's like, it's been two months. And this kind of emphasizing that Hamlet and maybe Jack because of drugs and alcohol and the way they live their life, like they don't feel the passage of time normally. Okay. You know, several days could pass or it could be a few minutes or just how they perceive it could be differently. I don't know if that's a major theme, but that line mixed with that slow-mo, I don't know if that's a connection there or just an accidental thing I'm justifying now. That could, yeah. I mean, knowing that now, I could see certain parts of this movie are making a little more sense to me. So maybe I was judging too harshly with Without all the information. And maybe we're giving them credit where credit isn't due. I don't know. But I don't know, because we'll I think for the most part, I think they did a pretty good job of yeah. what you call adapting this play into a modern, you know, modern setting and modern characters. I think I think they did a pretty good job overall. It's just it's the little movie making things that are really bothering me. So Yeah. Well to finish kind of setting up this first kind of segment of the movie, it basically gives you all the background, gives you some intro- introductions to the main characters in the movie, some of the backdrops, some of the connections. His dad's dead, and then there's what kind of starts to set it off 
off or think two main things. One, he has a weird hallucination where he either sees himself or dreams himself or he just physically like falls to the floor in the same way his dad did when he had a heart attack. And while he's laying on the floor thinking about how his, how his dad died in his office, he notices a pill on the ground and he picks it up and he's like, what is this? And that kind of starts the investigative paranoia that drives Jack for the rest of the movie. It was kind of a strange scene, but I actually thought it worked pretty well. The only thing I would have said was to have the two actors do the exact same things and motions, you know, mm -hmm. instead of like Jack being off a little bit, especially yeah. at the beginning. Other than that, yeah, I mean, I thought it was a pretty well done scene and it got everything across. And like you said, starts our investigation into did something untoward happen to my father? Yeah, and that's something he finds in the real world because of his whatever mental state he has. He found something physical in the world that he can show other people people. Right. And then the other part that I think kind of helps drive further the investigation is he goes to this bar that apparently they don't recognize who, him is, who he is, has the weirdest order of four fingers of scotch in a funny glass, and they put it in a coffee mug or whatever. And later that night, he's drunk in the bathroom stall, and some man walks up with distinctive pants and shoes and says, your uncle killed your father. And then walks away, and Jack can't find this fi figure. I'm sorry, Klaus, but he says, your uncle whacked your father. We're in L.A. <laughs> we say stuff like whacked. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> but also, I think a big point is right before all of that, he's talking to his mother and about how his mother signed over, quote unquote, the business to Uncle Carl. And mm -hmm. so that's already putting in his mind that now his adversary is his uncle. Yeah. So I, I think that's one of the biggest points that really drives him to start coming to conclusions on his own if it's not his actual father speaking beyond the grave. That's a good point, too. And I think it's it's something that's going to frame everything else in this movie is do we believe this is Jack's madness or visions or whatever it is? Is that how his father communicates to him? And it's an actual supernatural thing. Or is Jack's hatred of his uncle and the fact that his mom signed everything over make his paranoia try to find things, have him hallucinate, like where he might hallucinate just a dog walking across the street. Now he's hallucinating clues to lead him against his uncle. Right. And like you were saying, all these uh, flashback sequences are really trying for me. I, I mean, I guess it's supposed to be building the relationship between Jack and his father and trying to portray that he loved his dad and he was good to him and all that stuff. But at the same time, like, those are things we can normally assume if a character loves their father in movie language. That's one of those things that's generally assumed unless we're told different. Right. And especially since he obviously seems shaken up by his dad's death. Like, I didn't, you could have taken out the flashbacks of when he was a boy and I still would have understood that Jack, you know, loves his father deeply. Yeah, the one that I did think was important was the one of him stealing his dad's shoes and putting them on and walking around in them, mm -hmm. literally putting on, stepping into his father's shoes. Mm -hmm. And maybe to Stacy Title's credit, maybe she knew she had to have that flashback 
flashback, and we had to have other flashbacks to set up that we are going to be doing flashbacks. So yeah. maybe that's the only reason the earlier ones exist. That's a big domino. I think it's a domino, maybe, even, because we have the pants and shoes in the bathroom when he says, your uncle whacked your dad, mm -hmm. which we don't know as an audience at the time that he may recognize those as his dad's shoes. I don't think even Jack realizes that. Probably not. You have that flashback of when he's a kid wearing his dad's shoes, and then later in the movie, you get the gray suit and the pants walking up in this just shotting of like shins down mm -hmm. in the same way the bathroom scene was and then it pans up and it's jack and not the ghost of his father so that could be a domino i mean yeah this if there's anything i can say for this movie it's that the dominoes are set up and they do tumble correctly mm -hmm. i don't think we have any matchboxes or raisin boxes as we were calling them i don't think yeah. we have any matchboxes in here of dominoes that don't quite fit yeah but yeah you know we'll we'll get to the deeper stuff toward the end here <laughs> for this flashback i did want to say the kid they use in this flashback to play young jack his eyes are fucking gigantic like sugar baby eyes doesn't begin to fucking cover it this kid has zoe deschanel's eyes but in the head of a small child and it's creepy as fuck <laughs> he looks as if he's like a doll or something with overly gigantic eyes klaus is trying to find a picture <laughs> I am, because I like, I vaguely remember the kid, but I don't think I like focused. It's just something that caught me him. way off guard, how gigantic his eyes were. Yeah, maybe, uh, you know, maybe he's been dropping some belladonna in his <laughs> eyes, who knows. <laughs> but also, once again, one of these little movie making things, at the end of that first flashback, we have this transition of the child's face dissolving into adult jack's face if your brain told you this isn't working right like it should i'm about to tell you why it's because <laughs> the shot of the kid is panning to the right while the shot of jack is just stationary so you have a mm -hmm. shot showing movement dissolving into a stationary shot mm -hmm. and it looks awful it looks like this blurry creepy mess and the kid's face doesn't actually line up with jack's face so visually, you're barely even getting across the point that a slow dissolve is supposed to get across. Mm -hmm. It's a poorly executed shot. And once again, I think in the editing bay, they were like, oh, yeah, we should do a slow dissolve from the child version of him to the adult version of him to kind of really hammer home that passage of time and the difference between a happy child and a depressed, insane Jack. But when you don't film your shots to be edited in a specific way and then you edit them that specific way that goes against how the shots were taken it doesn't work you have to have this kind of stuff planned out before you even film it mm -hmm. i was about to move to the next segment unless there's more like in that phase the next phase was like the investigation phase is kind of what i i mean I, i'm just trying to go scene by scene on this one because like we're we're here in my notes uh yeah <laughs> forgot about all that shit <laughs> yeah I, I literally was taking more than a note per minute of the movie like prolific okay did that did that happen that early that's when he's talking to his mom at the table yeah yeah so yeah like our notes seem weird and out of chronological order but they're actually not <laughs> It's just mine are in perfect chronological order because that's I, what I, was I mean. Like, like pausing to get them. 
that that's what I mean. Like it speaks to like how the movie like jumped around. Like you're in a bar and you're following that, and suddenly there he's back at his house talking to his mom. Well, no, he didn't get to the bar until after all of that. He didn't get to the uh, bar okay. until number thirteen on my Way notes. Later. After talking to mom, he's sitting in the office. He's talking to Mary Louise Parker on the phone. I love Mary Louise Parker, by the way. I think she's freaking great. She's been in tons of shit. You will recognize her. She was in The West Wing for like two seasons or something like that. She was the main actress in Weeds. She was the lead in that. There's tons of shit. Go look her up. You'll know her. I love her. And God love her. She doesn't mind getting naked on camera. So... And she kind of played another, um, as she put it, or her character put it, unbalanced youth. I, I, I have that line later in my notes, but it's, I'm unbalanced, dad, I'm unbalanced, not deaf, remember? <laughs> Jesus, okay. But the, this phone call scene really sets her up for everything that she, or not everything that she is, but definitely gives you the heart of the character, which is a pill-popping depressed in love with this guy but clearly jaded by his bullshit and tired of putting up with his non-committal bullshit as well and she's great in this scene i loved her just laying in the bed rolling over popping some pills laying back down <laughs> and like clearly it's the afternoon so no one should just be laying in bed naked by themselves at this point yeah <laughs> And she's kind of like, not philosophizing, but she's talking about like social issues and, and stuff like that. And I feel like Jack's contribution in the scene is like, oh, yeah, huh? Huh? Oh, yeah. Like, it's like his, he's flirting by just like saying one word lines. <laughs> well, it's kind of setting up that whole, I'm not listening to you. You're not talking about the thing I want to be talking about mm -hmm. like it's setting all of that up but he is very passive in this scene and just kind of letting her prattle on as if he's listening even though he has his own agenda which is to talk about her father and how he affected jack's father's business it also to hammer that point even further she's talking about like issues that women have and and men and stuff like that he's like in a strip club just like staring at a, at a woman dance some of these lines here just what the fuck are we doing guys you know my, my uncle carl's gonna be there and i just i hate him more than lard itself so when jack's talking about his uncle okay i feel like that was ripped from the play exactly because who the fuck would say that in 1999 is that a reference to like his dad's high cholesterol I, that led to the heart attack maybe I guess I, if you're really reaching and then, you know, Mary Louise Parker says something back. I'm serious. I want to talk to you. Heart attacks are serious. You ask my father. Okay, you're just going to keep playing the dead dad card when everyone has done nothing but tell you how awful it was and how bad they feel for you? Jesus Christ, dude. Yeah. Uh, and then we get the vision of his father dying in his office, like you were saying, finding the pill. Also, the actor who's playing his dad, was he only like 10 years old when he had Jack? Because they look pretty much the same age. 
Yeah, there's some age discrepancies where I think Jack is maybe supposed to be like early 20s being played by like a 30 plus year old. He was talking about being institutionalized at 19. And I don't know if we ever get a time frame of how long ago his father died, but he was supposedly institutionalized directly after his father died. And everyone is acting Mm -hmm. as if his father's funeral was just a few months ago. Mm -hmm. So like that would imply he's maybe 20. And yet he's talking about doing his dissertation. Like, the whole age and time thing is really fucked up here. And that's what it, that gets back to, like, is that a mistake that they didn't account for this? Or is this just playing into Hamlet slash Jack, you know, don't fully. And, and by the way, like, I'm not a Shakespeare ex- expert. I literally just looked at that one singular Hamlet line yeah. and connected it to the slow-mo. So that might not actually be a theme in Hamlet. Okay. Because it's just that one line. Oh, uh, well, I mean, I, I think if they're outright stating in a Shakespeare play, like, you think it's been two days and it's been two months. That's They're obviously saying yeah. that for purpose. But in this, all of the characters are having problems with timelines, if that's the way this mm-hmm. is. Because if he was institutionalized when he was 19 and then had uh, he's doing his dissertation now, that means he's in his mid-20s at the youngest yeah what the fuck and mary louise parker's like you haven't talked to me since the funeral well was the funeral a few months ago because if it was when he was 19 that means it was like five or six years ago yeah i don't think she would be talking to him at all if it was five or six years ago you know and it couldn't have been because she says in the look later in the movie in the bathroom scene she says remember i'm i'm pregnant six weeks ago at the funeral yeah. So we get like a distinct timeline there where everything else is like against God it. Damn it. Yeah. So the timeline's all fucked up in this. And I have a feeling it was, I, I think they were trying to do it as if Jack was just having trouble knowing how long it had been and stuff. But it comes off as yeah. all of the characters have no idea what time is. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird because like the audience's perspective is almost through Jack's eyes. So we see stuff that Jack through Jax's lens, but also not purely his lens. Yeah. And so it muddles the water of, is it just him or other people having timeline issues? Right. Uh, yeah. Who the hell knows? Surreal. Somewhere here in the office is also when we get the first shot of Jack's poorly painted fingernails where the paint's all chipped off and shit. I don't know what the fuck that's about. Whatever costume department. Finally, he <laughs> goes to this dive bar in LA. When he walks in, you get that great squeaky door opening sound. It's my favorite. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's my single favorite Foley noise that exists and I'm pretty sure I have it in my Foley Noise library, so I'll edit it in here. And uh, hopefully everyone recognizes that from tons and tons of movies and will hear that over and over again in their head. Every time they hear it in a movie now, they'll be like, oh, fuck, it's that noise. That scene is such a classic trope of stranger opens doors to dive bar and everyone in the dive bar (laughs) stares at them. Yeah. Basically saying you don't belong. (laughs) Yeah, which is a classic movie trope. I love it. But yeah, like you said, he orders the four fingers of scotch in a funny glass 
because Jack's a funny guy and he needs a funny glass to go with it. Eventually, after he has his vision in the bathroom, comes out yelling and everybody kicks him out and then beats his ass. He's sitting on the side of the road and that's when, what's this actor's name? Breaking Bad Man. Yeah, Jonathan Banks. That's when Jonathan Banks walks up. Everyone here will know Jonathan Banks from Breaking Bad. He was uh, he was the guy who worked for El Pollos Hermanos. He was, you know, the fucking ex-cop badass that just handled everything. Just the professional, mm-hmm. you know, the veteran. He'd been in this business for dec- a decade or two. Like, he knew his shit. And if you're one of the few people who haven't seen Breaking Bad, then you've probably at least seen Community, where this actor also plays Professor Hickey, uh, which I don't think comes in until, like, season four or five or something like that. But, yeah. So, if you don't recognize him from one of those two, then go fuck yourself. Go watch better shows. <laughs> but he's great in this he's great in pretty much everything he comes and grabs jack and takes him into the bar and he's like who beat you up did they just drop you out of a car what happened get this man a drink and then when jack finally tells him that the bartender did it he like jumps over the bar he's like this is julius's son zach i this goddamn jackie you touched him he owns the fucking plate you son of a bitch give me a goddamn one <laughs> I, I like that character a lot. And to briefly go back to the funny cup thing, it reminded me so much of like a Joker character, but not a good one. Like a Joker character in, um, God damn it. What was the Jared Leto? Like the Jared Leto Joker? Uh, yeah. Like nothing is Jared Leto, but like that movie was just not, <laughs> was poorly written. But it was like just cringy, edgy for the sake of being edgy. Like there wasn't a political statement tied to it. It was just like, oh, put it in a funny glass. Ha ha. Yeah. And that's the problem with Jack throughout most of this movie is like, I don't know if he's trying to be funny or if he's just trying to be an asshole because it comes off as him mm-hmm. just being an asshole. I don't remember laughing at like any of Jack's lines. I laughed at things other characters said. So it's not just the writing, you know, like, but for some reason, the Jack character just doesn't play. Yeah, and he doesn't play to me in like a, a comedic sense at all. He just seems like a paranoid guy, like troubled kid mm-hmm. kind of thing. And like he says stuff that are like they they're punchlines, but they're not punchlines to jokes. They're punchlines to whatever the tragedy version of a joke <laughs> is. A cruel like joke. Right. You know? Like it's supposed to be black comedy, but it's just not. It's just depressing. <laughs> Weird. Yeah, it's just depressing comedy. <laughs> Uh, so this whole time I'm just thinking the New York underworld is so much cooler than the LA underworld. <laughs> LA underworld <laughs> just seems boring and stupid while New York underworld seems like badass and machismo, yeah. you know? <laughs> like LA is the fucking golf little brother to New York or something. <laughs> mm-hmm. You also have another great line. Come on, let's be honest. Carl is uh he's not that bright. He's a two-watt. He's a what? He said, he's a twat? A two-watt. You know, when he gets an idea, the bulb over his head, a two-watt bulb. Oh, shit. What? What What are we doing, guys? Come on. <laughs> uh, you know what? It's, that's one of those funny lines where it's not funny, but I guarantee if that was in The Sopranos and Tony Soprano said it, everyone in the room would laugh. Well, of course, because they have to or he'll kill them, so... Exactly, <laughs> yeah, but this character doesn't have the the whatever, the cojones, the gabagoo, 
to pull it off. This is like a, it's not even a dad joke, it's a granddad joke. <laughs> the only references he has are to technology that was invented in the fucking 19th century. To keep with the Soprano references, this is a Polly joke. Hmm? Oh, Polly? Polly. Hey, this is you, a Polly joke what I where he's like, did you hear me? <laughs> and he repeats the whole fucking thing. <laughs> I said he's a two-watt, you know, like a two-watt light bulb, yeah. <laughs> Fucking Polly. But this character is, like, maybe one of the gooder characters. Like, seems fairly level-headed and yeah. respects his dad and cares for Jack because he respected his dad. He's, like, the only character that is, well, he's one of the two characters that is truly loyal to Jack. And so, if we are watching this through Jack's eyes, this character is portrayed as, like, the best the human species has to offer. Because mm -hmm. <laughs> he, he's, he's faithful, he gets his job done, and also he's the reason why I get my money every week and continue to keep mm -hmm. living this shitty, lavish lifestyle while doing nothing. Anyway, finally, Jack finally gets a phone call from his friends and they're walking down the road talking about nothing. Redis is like kicking empty cardboard boxes for no reason and we get introduced to the Mexican car. Yeah. <laughs> this is actually its first appearance with its fucking neon light license plate, mm -hmm. which is funny to me because in Romeo plus Juliet in the in the church all the crosses had blue neon lights that were like mm. the exact same color as the neon lights on these guys car and i was just like what what is it with the 90s and blue neon blue neon <laughs> <laughs> what, the, what the fuck was happening in la in the 90s guys and the like i have no idea how like the criminal organ like organizations work now but i feel like criminal organizations now they buy like honda civics and stuff like they don't soup up cars because that's just like a huge target like <laughs> right yeah you want to be under the radar and not yeah. screaming i'm a drug dealer <laughs> yeah exactly but this is kind of set up in another domino where you have the actor banks who's the level-headed one and, and jack is like did someone kill my father and and banks is like well i thought that initially but uh, i think he just had a heart attack you know it could have been one of the mobs of and he lists a few mobs and one of them he yeah. says is Mexican, but at the end it says probably heart attack. Next scene, Mexican car. <laughs> yeah. And one of the guys is even like commenting on the car like, oh, what a nice neighborhood. Mm -hmm. Saying, of course, if there are Mexicans around, then it must be a bad neighborhood. And being racist because we're mob type people, so we have to be racist. Yeah, but it kind of, it, it immediately almost answers it without the audience fully knowing that it answered it, that the Mexican or the Latino mob is involved somehow, right. or the cartels or whatever they're referred to are involved somehow. But basically this conversation with the friends leads to the whole Norman Reedus being like, hey, I got I got to go pull a job tonight because I need some money um, and I need your guys' help. I need some muscle around. And they do the whole like, oh, you got one last job? It's your last one? You're going to need our help? And he's like, yeah, basically. <laughs> They're like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> they're like clearly fucking with him because he's clearly done this before like just one more time and uh -huh. they're like oh and they're jiving him about it but then he's like yes but they both know they're gonna do it anyway yeah. <laughs> so they're just giving him a little shit and then saying yes anyway <laughs> which I, I will say that is kind of like a shakespearean theme right is a friend asking for help 
the friend other friends giving them shit for it and then mm. all of them doing it anyway yeah exactly and jesus i'm starting to feel schizophrenic or something because this movie jumps around so goddamn much we're jumping from scene to scene as fast as we possibly can but we jump across town to mary louise parker's house where she lives with her lawyer father and lawyer father's talking to uncle Cl uh uncle what's his name clark uncle Cav carl carl, carl. uncle carl <laughs> god damn it he's talking to uncle carl Mary Louise Parker's just walking through in a tank top, panties, and a silk robe. <laughs> Not giving two fucks about nothing. But Carl and the her father, which is the lawyer, they're clearly tight now. And the lawyer is very on board with working for Carl. And he's going to be helping Carl kind of get the upper hand over Jack. And that sets that up really quick. Yeah, th there's an interesting part of that scene where she walks over to get something and she stands there listening. But at least I didn't pick out any words. It just sounds like animals growling and stuff. I think we're kind of getting a look into the mind of Julia, which is men standing in corners growling about whatever their bullshit is today. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, she's over here clearly distressed and mentally distressed and in a lot of mental trouble, psychological trouble, and no one gives a shit because everyone's just a focused on animal. their business and yeah. taking out the other predators. And then we jump back across town? Yep, back. <laughs> Back to our boys. To do the deal for Redis, but first he has to stop by a pharmacy, which I have no idea what time it is. I assumed it was like 2 a.m. I It could be 6 p.m. I don't know. Well, once again, this movie feels like it should have been set in New York, and yet it's set in L.A. I don't know L.A. well enough to say whether it has a shitload of stores that are open 24 hours a day, but I know for a fact in New York, you can walk through New York City and find a pharmacy that's open. Yeah, but regardless, this this pharmacy's open, but I do believe it is late because the pharmacist is, like, eating and, like, no one's in there. So right. they come in there, and Jack's basically like, can you look at this? And tell me what it is and the guy the pharmacist is a little weird about it but whatever he looks at it and he immediately identifies it as adrenaline or epinephrine which is not what you want if you're <laughs> if you have like arrhythmias and you're wanting to either slow down your heart rate yeah and i wanted to ask you because i've never seen adrenaline in a pill form so, Mr. Pharmacist, do we have adrenaline in pill forms? I haven't seen it. Okay. It possibly like an outdated thing, maybe? So, there's inhalation versions, there's injection versions, nasal. To my knowledge, they currently don't make any formulation that is oral. They could have maybe in the past, it's possible. It just doesn't seem like it would work, right? Because it has to get into the bloodstream like really quickly. It could. You could always, you know, make adrenaline and then just put it in a pill and but i don't know how effective it is they currently don't formulate anything like that they also the brand name heart medication that they refer to i couldn't find any old brand name that used that name maybe i'm spelling it wrong but i couldn't find one 
Well, and I do know, because something I was writing at one point had, you know, a fake medication in it. It's mm -hmm. not that difficult to come up with a fake medicine name that sounds real enough, because medicine names are fucking psychotic sounding, especially the branded names. Yeah, there's so much marketing that goes into them. So, I mean, it was probably just a fake name that they could use and say, oh, it's heart medicine, blah, blah, blah. So we get this whole setup of the adrenaline pill looks like the reverse of the heart medicine medicine it could be easily mistaken for one another mm -hmm. if somebody wanted to switch them out they probably could mm -hmm. which hooray we got that domino out of the way and i do like the pharmacist in this he's a little character actor he pops up in a bunch of tv shows and stuff just a lot just like a lot of these other character actors that are in this movie he, he does a great little job of being like you guys murdering someone i might but you see that would make you a bad bad person and if i thought you might do that i would call the police I would. <laughs> this is this is like classic. So shout out to pharmacy. This is classic pharmacist where you have this person comes in and is like, hey, can I show you something? And if you've worked in healthcare, you don't say yes until you ask further questions because this guy could whip out his syphilis dick or whatever. And you don't want to say yes, yes. You're like, depends. Is it a pill? And he's like, yeah, okay, yes. I'll take a look at that. Then that's fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then also the disclaimer of like, it's almost like legally, I have to tell you if you're wanting to murder someone, I would have to call the cops. I my, I've had a long day. I'm not going to investigate <laughs> you. But just like if you just say I'm not planning to do that, I'm cool. And you can go about your day. As, as long as you relieve me of the responsibility of having to do this. <laughs> exactly. Like give me deniability. Like I will call. But like, please just say that's not what's happening <laughs> you can tell yeah. he's like he's working the last hours of like a, a 50 a 12 hour shift or whatever and he's just ready uh -huh. to do 16 hour shift and he's just ready to go home <laughs> he's just trying to finish off this double come on yeah. man and then all our guys get back into the car. They're asking Norman Reedus about his gun. And he's all like, yeah, I got a gun, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and I love the line of. No, come on, let me see it. Hey man, no means no, don't date rape me. <laughs> just, just setting up. Oh, yeah. Jack doesn't understand the word no very well, does he? <laughs> <sighs> Yeah, and all of this playing with the gun leads to him talking about murder and mm. what would it take for it to be worth it to murder someone? What what's yeah. the what's the greater evil forgiving someone that you can't forgive or ruining your life and killing them because you can't forgive them. Yeah, he gets philosophical and he does get really weird about like right before he they hand him the gun, he's like, Oh, can I see the gun? And he's like seems very calm and like, Oh, what am I gonna do with it? Come on, I'm just gonna look at it. And as soon as it's in his hand, he's like, Have you ever wanted to fucking kill somebody? <laughs> and he's like, Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> Like, as soon as he has the gun, he gets yeah. crazy about it. <laughs> it's fucking great. Yeah, his eyes just kind of light up, and he's like, don't you just want to, like, fucking shoot somebody in the goddamn face? <laughs> <laughs> and the guys are both looking around like, Norman Reedus is like, yeah, I'd kill my fucking bookie. <laughs> and the other guy's like, I don't think I'd do that. <laughs> 
<laughs> Jesus. But they're driving to do this deal, which they all consented to and seem to have done this kind of stuff before, at least to some extent. And at some point on the way to the docks or the construction yard or wherever the hell they're going to do the deal, Eurydice admits that he has coke in the car. So they all pull over, freak out, get out, and there's an argument. Yeah, the guy who's driving the other friend who I can't remember who he is, he's like freaking the fuck out about Rita's having coke in the car. And it's like, he told you y'all were going to go do a drug deal. Did you not think there would be drugs in the car at some point along this journey? Also, he's carrying around a gun. Come on. It was, if that felt kind of like a weak excuse to get them out of the car just so they could say, oh, let's go get some tacos. Yeah, that that's definitely a writer thing of being like, oh, well, I need them to stop at this place. How can I come up with a reason for them to stop? Uh, I don't know. They get mad about the drugs. What? Okay, whatever. Totally against character and type, but it gets us where we need to go, which is, like you said... In the middle of the barrio, ordering tacos from what is apparently a 24-hour taco stand. Yeah, like a street vendor, late-night street vendor doing tacos. Nothing fancy, but tacos are... It's hard to mess up a taco. Yeah, and I mean, you gotta grill, cook the meat, you know, you're good to go. But yeah, they're sitting here ordering. Jack's trying to be all multicultural about it and speak the language and be nice to the guys. Meanwhile, his friends are being racist and assholes. And they have the two Mexican guys step up and they do this old Milwaukee speech is what I'm going to call it. Yeah. Where they're just talking about different beers from all over the place. I think it's supposed to be like a whole, aren't you a little too far south for your skin color kind of thing? Yeah, and part of the speech includes around here old milwaukee is an import right <laughs> basically implying like milwaukee brew an american beer like you're not in america right now these blocks or however this area is not your your zone kind of yeah thing. yeah and it definitely speaks to the whole we know you're part of the white mob guys we're part of the mexican mob guys get the fuck out mm -hmm. and i mean there, there are some like funny little lines like uh norman Reedus has the what's that other one called the Moosehead? <laughs> I'd give a moose head for some moose head. <laughs> Shit like that. Yeah, and the the tall friend is basically just keeps egging it on. And Jack especially, but even Redis were just like, dude, I don't want to die over some tacos. Like, can you like stop <laughs> egging them on? I don't know why the other friend is just so gung-ho about fighting and killing and everything. Like, it, it reminds me of a worse version of Mercutio and the people from Romeo and Juliet. You know, all the mm -hmm. uh, Montague boys. Like, yeah. they're all really gung-ho to fight and stuff, but they're also very like charismatic and flashy about it and then these guys are this guy is just an asshole and nothing more yeah just hubris which i guess is the kind of apathetic 90s version of the same thing so but then uh we do uh surprise surprise another jump yeah we're jumping all over the place with this oh yeah i guess we're just bailing on the drug deal by the way that's just not gonna happen we're gonna go to the strip club instead yeah i guess they go to the strip club instead <laughs> <laughs> and there's like a brief moment, like camera pan, where the friends are like getting lap dances. And I guess their drive to commit crimes and make money is over. And now they're just going to spend money <laughs> instead. Yeah, of course. Well, uh, and I will say, Reed is just kind of, I think he's just like standing off to the side throughout most of this scene. Mm. While the angry guy is, you know, flirting with one of the dancers and getting a lap dance and everything. And Jack grabs the manager of the club and goes back into his office to talk shop for a little bit. He's trying to talk to Bruce, the manager of the strip club, and, like, get him to say that Carl killed his father, but then he realizes 
Oh, there's a picture of Bruce, Carl, and the stripper that Carl had in his car earlier. So they're all buddy-buddy. Now I don't trust Bruce anymore. So mm -hmm. he kind of changes the subject, and that's where we get this whole... Let me take the books out of here and have a look at them. Uh, I... What? The books. I've, uh, just for the last month or so. I'm uh, sorry. Is this a joke? Yeah. What? The books. What? Are a joke. <laughs> it's a joke. Oh, it's a joke! <laughs> Uh, it's, it's like if I sat down and tried to write a Shakespearean comedy and it would just be bad because I'm not Shakespeare. Yeah. That's kind of what this felt like. <laughs> yeah, there's there's not any like cutting wit in, in the language. There's kind of, there's a little bit of a flow, but it doesn't have the really strong wit that like Shakespeare would have. I think it does to the credit of, of Jack's character. It seems to intimidate the manager pretty strongly. But he's also a pussy. Exactly. <laughs> so. yeah. yeah. I think the manager also realizes, seems to know that Jack says some crazy stuff, but like isn't known for taking action. Like in, in the end, he'll like talk, but he's indecisive. It's all he has to do is just kind of prostrate himself before Jack for a few minutes and then Jack will leave and it'll all be good, which basically happens. And I, I think he also thinks that Jack is kind of crazy. And that might be one of the reasons he's acting super skittish around him is he's like, mm -hmm. fuck, Jack could go off the handle and shoot me at any time who the fuck knows yeah. you know <laughs> but yeah that whole scene was just a little painful for me and then we get we briefly mentioned earlier jack talking to julia on the phone at the strip club and we get this whole scene of julia explaining the social metaphor and implications of strip clubs while we watch a topless dancer why do men think that they can treat women so badly because they can sanctioned abuse under the guise of we know what's good yeah, kind of neo-colonialism by proxy, which is actually redundant, but whatever. So it's just muscle strength? I mean, what, we're like gorillas? Yeah, because we women are exposed, you men get to keep your stuff in. Believe me, if you had to walk around with your sexual power at your chest for all the time, for everyone to see like we do. There'd be a lot fewer guys strutting around acting like they have big dicks when they don't. I'm 14 and this is deep. <laughs> I appreciate Stacey Title trying to put out some information of the woman's point of view on late 90s society. I appreciate someone trying to use a Shakespearean play to also get out a statement about 90s culture and everything, modern day culture. But uh, once again, when you're playing with 10 different giant philosophical and cultural ideas all at once, mm -hmm. your message just comes out muddled because you have one character that has this point of view and another character that has this point of view and then four characters who have four other point of views and we hear all of them. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard, it's hard to say what the movie stands for when you have all of them. Her thoughts are undercut further by... Jack, once again, like, doesn't listen to anybody besides himself. Like, he's just clearly saying, uh-huh, yep, oh, that's crazy, babe. Yep. Oh, man, what a <laughs> while bitch. Watching, while watching like, this dancer shake her titties. <laughs> exactly. Like, he's, I mean, in that in that way, the scene, like, shows, reinforces, I should say, that, you know, Jack is a asshole who only cares about himself. But It does that really well. And honestly, I think it's kind of a joke on the audience as well for to see how many, like, if you are on a date and watching this movie, like, how many women are looking at their boyfriend and he's not hearing the dialogue at all. He's just looking at the stripper. Yeah. I think it's kind of playing on that, too. I think it's really smart, but at the same time, it, I don't know. It, it's cheapened a little bit, but it does inform you about the character. So, mm -hmm. overall, I think it works. It's just, once again, 
too many messages in the movie. I think we just needed to strip it down to where we really focus on a couple of things. Did you say strip? Uh, obviously. <laughs> I'm a man. That's all I hear. <laughs> that was a 14 and I'm deep joke. Yep. <laughs> uh, also, while we're having this conversation, Mary Louise Parker's like feeding the dog. And at one point she stops and picks up a piece of dog food and just looks at it and then pops it in her mouth. <laughs> and you hear the crunch. She's having a rough go of it. Like <laughs> this simple task of feed the dog. She goes over there and like squats down and pours some. And instead of just stopping, like she just like fucking doesn't care and like throws the bag to the side and like kibbles go everywhere. And she's like absent mindedly talking about these social implications and like picks up a freaking piece of dog food. I thought I thought for sure I had just seen that. And I was like, did that actually happen? Look, the funny thing is, is I was looking down, writing a note, and then I heard the crunch and I looked up and I was like, fuck, she just ate some dog food. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Once again, it's hard to take these cogent thoughts on 90s society seriously when the character that delivers them is clearly fucking insane. I need one character that isn't insane, isn't a giant asshole rapist, isn't a fucking murderer to tell me what to think. Mm. Or tell me what the creators are thinking, I guess. Right. And that's another, I'm 14 and this is deep. Oh, the most sane person is the insane one kind of thing. When the world's crazy, the craziest one is the only sane one. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So it kind of plays into that. And I swear, I think like the dad who's in the kitchen as she's trying to feed the dog and is eating dog kibbles. I swear, like as soon as the crunch happened, he like hears it and he's like, Julia, like, fuck are you doing? <laughs> like, like, I don't think he addresses the dog food, but he's just like get up like stop what are you doing (laughs) stop whatever you're doing i have a job for you (laughs) i think that's when he's like telling her you need to talk to jack and convince him to Mm. do this thing for me and i know that jack's hungry for your pussy so he'll do whatever you tell him so and she's just kind of like yeah whatever and then he starts as she walks away he starts yelling repeating the actions and the job he wants her to do basically did did you hear me julia (laughs) Dad, I'm unbalanced, not deaf, remember? <laughs> and she just like slowly mopes out of the kitchen. <laughs> one one thing I wanted to, and I don't know if this is like a 90s thing on the side of the vinyl that's the, that's the grunge side. <laughs> But I feel like more, may, it, I think it. I think it's happening now too, but almost like the glorification of the troubled individual. Like it's <sighs> cool that you're troubled. Like it's cool that you are abusing alcohol and drugs. Like the glorification of it at least. In the 90s, I think it was cool. It was cool in the 90s. Because Kurt Cobain did it and all that. (laughs) Now we're to the point where like drugs and alcohol and tobacco and everything are not cool. But, you know, having mental illness and everything is okay as long as you're taking Mm. care of it. I think that's the stage we're at now. I don't necessarily want to say like blaming your parents is the in thing. But I definitely remember a time growing up, there was a period of certain years where in media, the Mm. characters blaming their parents parents for all of their problems was the fucking thing it became this whole like freudian bullshit of just blaming your circumstance on a couple of people and never taking responsibility. your own responsibility of it yeah i don't remember anyone that i knew in real life who blamed to any great extent their circumstance you know even if it was right. tough but yeah there were certainly patterns in the media where like there were many characters who did just that yeah and that's that's why i specifically said the media i don't think it yeah. was 
an actual thing going on, but it mm-hmm. was certainly present in everything that we watched and listened to. Sure. And Cut to who sucks dick better, I guess. Uh, men do, obviously, Klaus, as Norman Reedus lets us know. I'm a guy. I know how I like getting my dick sucked. Therefore, I would know how to suck dick better. Sure, Reedus. <laughs> Sure, sure. Which is the response a little character says is be like, thanks for sharing that, I guess, or something like dismisses it, basically just like, all right, cool, I guess. Yeah. And this is where our script goes from sounding like a from a Shakespeare first draft to a Tarantino failure that got scrapped. (laughs) (laughs) that's what's happening here i mean tarantino has some great think about reservoir dogs at the beginning where Mm -hmm. i i got madonna's big dick coming out of my left ear and toby the i don't know what coming out of my right (laughs) shit like that but it's it's quick it's witty a little grotesque a little gross on purpose this it's quick not very witty and overly gross and whatever just to get a reaction out of you not really to inform you of the character much more not really to move on the story at all there's just no real point to it yeah yeah i agree it it just sounds like one of those things you and your friends like smoke a joint and somebody says it out loud without even thinking and yeah it's late night drunk philosophy or something yeah (laughs) it was weird ding Uh, dong (laughs) Yeah, all the guys run off to the lawyer's birthday party. We're ringing the doorbell at a big fancy house party, apparently, because why not? And they must look like shit, because Julia opens the door and looks at him and she says, what the fuck, or good God, or something. Oh, wow. (laughs) Or something like that, yeah. And she looked, she's playing the perfect amount of just apathetic mid-twenties something in the 90s. Like, you know, doesn't have to worry about money or food or anything. and But also is unhappy with everything in their life. So she's just drugged out or drunk or something and is just laying around. <laughs> mm-hmm. Just like permanently sedated. Yeah, and doing that in the middle of a big party for her father. Uh, and this is where we get to the beginning of some of the greatest scenes in this movie. Greatest is a strong word. <laughs> so I have to preface this with, if you watch Red Letter Media stuff, some of my friends refer to me as the J of the group because I like my weird sex pervert movies. I think they're funny. And this one definitely fits within that category. So to, I guess, set up these next couple scenes, it's a big house party. The lawyer, who's Julia's dad, is there, and also Uncle Carl is there. His mom, like a lot of people are there. It's almost like a semi-family affair. Everybody in the social circle is there. It's fancy foods. The friends are diverted, basically assume that they're eating and drinking to allow Jack to be involved in these next couple scenes, primarily with Julia and then with his uncle Carl and his mom. So the first one is him and Julia. Julia's been trying to talk to him for what I, I guess we're supposed to assume is weeks, months, something. Hours to weeks. It's unsure. <laughs> So they finally corner one another in an upstairs bathroom. She's trying to have a serious conversation with him, but of course, once again, he's not listening to her at all and just wants to fuck. And that's what leads to the underutilized, prolonged pussy-eating scene, which, uh, it's one of those things that happens and you're like, this was a female director, huh? (laughs) (laughs) I kept waiting for the, the scene to end. I was like, oh, it's just going to keep going. And like, oh, there's a position change. Okay. Things are just going to keep, it's going to keep happening, I guess. <laughs> 
And then he like very quickly comes and it's just like, oh, that doesn't seem like it was satisfying for either of them. Good. Because oh, <laughs> I'm not satisfied. Realize... I... Well, I don't know if, you know, it they ended. just kind of like cut out the middle part or what but yeah. even at the end neither of them really seemed like they liked that yeah but that yeah yeah <laughs> and then she's like i'm pregnant bt dubs yeah or i was pregnant or something it's kind of like Six unclear at the beginning she's she just straight up says like i'm pregnant by the way or something like that six weeks ago at the funeral yeah i tried to tell you but your dad died so i didn't want to like bother you with it which once again speaks to the whole like flawed thing of women seeing themselves of having to push their things to the back mm -hmm. to you know accommodate the man which i'm sure was true at some point but certainly shouldn't have been true in the 90s right and and maybe i'm maybe i'm misreading it but she seemed happy about that and was kind of testing to see jack's reaction to it and was i think hoping that he would be more positive about it but then he just says i can't well, and this whole this whole time she's been trying to get some kind of commitment out of him, right? Mm -hmm. And she was probably seeing this as like, well, this will finally force him to commit a little bit because she is insane and getting herself pregnant probably seems like a good idea to her just to lock down the guy that she loves. Yeah, and it does seem like she, at least I got the impression that she does genuinely like Jack at this moment in time. Maybe not later, but does seem to like him despite his asshole-ish behavior. I think throughout this movie, she's genuinely in love with Jack. It's just how long will it take her to realize that she shouldn't love someone that is such an inherent asshole. Piece of shit, yeah. Yeah. So knock, knock, knock at the bathroom door. <laughs> uh, here's Dad. Yeah, lawyer dad comes up, interrupts everything, which gives Jack a perfect out to get out of this awkward situation he's found himself in. Uh, meanwhile, Julia's just kind of pissed about everything. I did love her throwing her ripped stockings at her father. <laughs> And then shutting the door. That was pretty fantastic. Yeah, she's clear. It's such an interesting thing because with lots of other characters in that situation, they would be like super embarrassed and bad, like, and feel bad that their father caught them and all that. And she's just like, I think she says something to the effect of like, well, are you just going to stare or what? What do you want? <laughs> so, that nightmare. And then as he's coming down the stairs, he runs into the, to the next scene. Uh, well, we have a transition of freeze frame on Julia and then dissolve into moving shot of Jack, which once again, why are we doing this? <laughs> why yeah. are we overlapping freeze frames with fucking moving shots? I, oh, it hurts my brain. Jack's in a room by himself. He sees a fucking message on the mirror saying that your uncle killed your father. What are you going to do about it? And he finally confronts Carl in the hallway. He like runs into them, physically grabs them, and is basically like, you did it, didn't you? You did it. And Carl's like laughing like, oh, bet your mother would love to see us this close. And then bam, there's his mom holding two glasses of wine, one intended for Carl. And she just tries to play it off like oh i was just going to the place here take <laughs> wine <laughs> carl kind of references like oh you think you're the only one that knows how to have fun at a party yeah me and your mom were about to go bang boy <laughs> yeah <laughs> And uh, so they, mom and Carl have to finally admit that they're hooking up. Mom eventually tells Jack that they're planning to get married. It's a whole thing. Uh, 
it's a it's a big old mess. And that brings us into, I guess, the, the toast scene before Jack kind of loses his shit fully and we move into the mom scene. Yeah, we have... <laughs> Jesus Christ, the dumbest pun I've heard in quite a while, which is Carl giving a toast in French and then Jack trying to give him shit about being a pompous asshole speaking in French and he just goes, what? It's a French toast. (laughs) We're getting real wacky here, folks. Real wacky. I think this is like, and I think you catch on it every time Carl's in a scene prior to this, but this is one of the moments where you're like, I know that person said Carl's a two watt, but I think he's, I think he's much brighter than that. (laughs) You know, if you're going to do a pompous speech in another language and someone's just like, why the fuck are you doing it in another language? Like you better have a comeback pre-prepared. And he does. Like, every time Jack confronts Carl with the doctor, Carl just undermines him by just saying, like, oh, I think you're acting a little crazy, Jack. You know, maybe you need to start taking your medicine again and just undermines him every time Jack accuses him. Yeah, Carl definitely has his wits about him. Mm -hmm. He seems like an evil fucker, as does most of the characters in this fucking story. But he definitely has his wits about him, and he's doing very well at making Jack seem absurdly crazy, whether he is or not. Mm -hmm. And then we start getting movie references just hurled at us. We get the Chinatown reference with the, my uncle, my father, my uncle, my father. And the whole time I'm just like, man, I could really go for a viewing of Chinatown right now. (laughs) Chinatown's a good fucking movie that I love a lot. I'd kind of really like to sit down and watch that instead of watching the rest of this. I think it's kind of witty. Like the Shalom, he's like, all right, well, I can speak in another language too. Shalom and throws the glass (laughs) on the ground. (laughs) (laughs) it's a dumbass's version of wit right i can speak another language too i know one word (laughs) yeah exactly it's and for you know jack supposed to be a young 20 something that's all the wit you need in his mind yeah but immediately after the chinatown reference as jack is losing his shit on his mom and carl and everyone at the party's kind of like what the fuck's wrong with this guy i can't remember what character he turns to but maybe it was carl i think it's the lawyer uh, yeah. the lawyer the lawyer's telling him to go to like the last room on the left or whatever and he's yeah. like it's the last room on the left you ever see that movie last house on the left west craven sean cunningham ingmar bergman is very political it's about the death of the nuclear family and loss of innocence in america you ought to check that out soul you might really dig it i think that you would really respond to it all right a once again you're referencing a movie i rather be watching right now mm-hmm. b you're breaking down not just like overly stated tones of the movie but the very subtle metaphorical tones of the movie and coming off as just like a fucking film school nerd who's being a real piece of shit right now yeah i i get if you want to get into film and you actually go to film school and you do all of that stuff good for you i wish i could have done it but i couldn't but at the same time if you're making a movie and you're just outright stating those things in the movie like that like it's Mm. it just comes off as really pompous and shitty and there's you know there's one more that's mixed in here where he references some person's name like salome or something i can't remember but then he talking to carl and he's like oh no you just have sole ownership of the murder (laughs) and he's like using wordplay and very like cheap and faux intellectual wit that like isn't really substantial if he was honestly if someone in real life was coming up with this stuff stuff on the fly they would come off as intelligent and and stuff but this but pre-meditated it's not the same wit as shakespeare level 
Yeah, and once again, I'm really sorry, Jonathan Penner, but I think a little bit of it is your acting. It doesn't come off as natural. And despite the fact that you're playing an absurdly insane character and you are getting the insane part across, it's not coming across as real. <laughs> It's coming across as an actor portraying a crazy person. You express exactly how I felt about it. I think he gets perfectly expressing that he is an unhinged character in his execution of the lines. But I'm also very aware that I'm watching a movie yep. You know, with these lines. I'm very aware that this is a movie and I'm not engrossed in it. And it's sad. But he goes into the last room on the left, starts talking to his mom. His mom's like planning to, he's like, planning to what? I'm like planning to get married and Jack starts freaking out even more. <laughs> There's the writing on the mirror that's in here that, like we said earlier, for a moment, I too was, I think both of us were like, oh, is this something he's, he's Jack alone is seeing? But the mom references, so it's actually there. Which means only that one of two things could have happened. Either A, Jack wrote it on the mirror himself and he's so crazy he doesn't remember doing it. Or B, his father is an actual ghost that can interact with the real world. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> I mean, what, yep. What, what the fuck else? Like, uh, Jesus Christ, this movie just, it finds more rails to jump off of than it has under it. It's because they're doing rails as they're writing the plot, but... <laughs> The, right after this scene, I'm going to tell you what I thought I heard and saw, and you tell me what you what you thought. At, towards the end of this mother scene, there's like a noise that gets Jack attention, Jack's attention, and he and there's a the shot is switched, and you see the lawyer who looks like they're like locking all the doors in this hallway, and I get the impression that he's like setting up Jack to be killed or something, but maybe that's just Jack's paranoia washing off on me. No, somebody was trying to get into the room, but Jack had locked one of the doors, or maybe mm -hmm. all of the doors and then jack runs out into the hall to see who the fuck it is and at this point he's just mad and crazy and he just knees the lawyer three times in the fucking nuts i laughed really hard at that i thought it was fantastic <laughs> anyway so all this time norman reedus has been trying to talk to jack jack's been shrugging him off the whole time finally jack's like okay now that i'm ready to leave we can go do your thing he decides to bring julia along julia's like i don't want to go and uh, somebody's like good then stay and now she's like well now i want to go and it's just oh god so we're bringing girlfriend along on the drug run i guess and on the way there she's like i'm woozy i need to hit the liquor store <laughs> or something <laughs> which i guess is where you buy pepto-bismol is the liquor store never heard of this in my life <laughs> I thought maybe she was with like withdrawing or something, but yeah, yeah. me too. I was confused. <laughs> they go to the liquor store. There's this weird scene of like, can we just have the keys to the bathroom? And the guy's like, oh, no, no, let me do this magic trick on you. <laughs> well, at first he says only for paying customers and they're like, okay, fine. Uh, give me the Pepto-Bismol and uh, you got a pack of gum. Like just being an asshole about it. Yeah. He does like the salt, a uh, salt magic trick where he's like, oh, you're pregnant. Congratulations. And he's, he seems like a nice fella, I guess, but he, grab some salt and like it's it's coffee creamer oh oh it's coffee creamer okay that makes more sense <laughs> and he rubs he you know waves his hand around and then he takes out a lighter and drops it on it and it flames up the powdered sugar or the creamer um and he's like oh it's gonna be a boy and they're like oh obviously cool and then they go to the bathroom <laughs> just like why is this happening <laughs> my favorite line of this was what do you put in your coffee i use only milk this this is cancer Man, that's so 90s and yet so true. I love it. <laughs> Everything is cancer. Yeah. 
So yeah, we're in the liquor store bathroom now. Don't really know why we needed to go into the bathroom, except for the fact that Jack's horny again after, you know, an hour, hour and a half after fucking Mary Louise Parker. She's drinking the Pepto. They're having more of a talk. I think this is where she admits that she had an abortion and that she was kind of looking forward to having a kid, but she didn't think he was ready for it. And he just kind of plays along. It is, yeah, that sounds like a great idea, baby. We should have a kid. And also, I want your ass. What? Yeah, I'm gonna huh? fuck you in the ass in this liquor store bathroom. And uh, I'm gonna use the rest of your Pepto-Bismol as the lube for it. <laughs> I feel like I, I dazed out of the scene just from like every part of it being uncomfortable your, and bad. Your brain just started shutting down like, I don't want to, no, I don't want to take this in. No. I don't want to take it in. So I, I had like my, I glossed over it. So you have the talk she tries to have that he basically ignores. Mm -hmm. He says he wants to have a kid, but instead of ha having regular sex, he has the only version that isn't going to get her pregnant against her will using Pepto-Bismol as a, as a lubricant. Yeah. To be very clear, she is not on board with this at all. She doesn't explicitly try to stop him. I don't even think she explicitly says no or anything like that but she does just kind of shut down and let it happen and it's awful to watch and mm -hmm. thank god it only lasts like five or six seconds because any longer and it would have been the grossest thing <laughs> yeah and it i mean it's yeah thank yeah jesus <laughs> and then afterwards she's like almost like innocent innocence is completely gone now deflowered completely there's a flower she's messing with a fake yeah. flower that's on the bathroom sink or something and i didn't fully understand the whole like messing with the flower reference thing because it's, it's not like she was a virgin before that or anything right. you know but I, I do think it is just kind of like a loss of innocence and her finally realizing jack is completely over the edge there's there's no saving him. There's no turning him into a good partner, a good father. There's nothing that can be done. Right. He's a complete asshole who just literally sodomized me. Yeah, he's not just a, he's not another troubled person like me. He's an asshole, a horrible person who's also troubled. And to, in her mind, probably he's just like every other man. Because mm -hmm. as we said earlier, like when her father's speaking, she just hears them grumbling and growling in the background about things that to her do not matter at all mm -hmm. just kind of sealing it for her yeah <clears throat> pretty awful my, my only note afterward was that all we need now is her wiping the stream of pepto-bismol that's running down her thigh <laughs> especially after the first bathroom scene where she's talking about how his cum will be leaking out of her all night Ugh. <laughs> there was there's just so much that was just gross in in the movie and in that scene in particular i appreciate this is kind of where we were at in the 90s i think especially late 90s early 2000s like we're, we're at that point where if we're gonna be rated r we're gonna be fucking rated r for a reason and uh they really went for it on this one and wanted to make a r-rated shakespeare play i guess i guess yeah they sure did didn't they <laughs> 
And so they get back in the car. Julia's like, nah, I'm just going to take it. I'm out. Nah, I'm out. Good for you, yeah, honey. She's going to take a cab home. Get the fuck out of there. And while she's walking home, Jack is in the car. And how does he intercept this call? Like, I don't understand how this happened. And he says, I want your car phone so I can call a cab to pick up Julia. I don't want her just walking around by herself. And he's talking to the operator, trying to get the number to the cab company. And while he's doing that, call waiting comes up. He answers it. And it's Carl on the other line who won't let him say anything. So Carl doesn't realize that it's Jack. And Carl's like, I need you to go over there, kill Jack and kill. He says kill them both. And I think he's referencing Jack and his mother. I don't know. I know. I know he for sure says at some point he says, and if Julie is there too, just kill her too. Yeah, but I don't know who the second person he's referencing is. I'm assuming Jack, his mother and Julia, but he. I I don't fucking know. It's unclear. I don't know. And it's unclear. I didn't think it was the mom just because I think he wanted to be with her. But I don't know. Who knows with him, to be honest. It could have been. Who the fuck knows? Who the fuck cares? Anyway, Jack finds out that Carl's trying to have him killed. And this is when we go into the whole death penalty philosophical talk about mm-hmm. I, I can't even remember exactly what the talk was about but it was like do you believe in the death penalty are you okay with the death penalty something like that meanwhile it's intercut with Julia fucking sobbing walking down the sidewalk as she probably should be right now and then committing suicide by jaywalk which is a new one to me mm. it seems like Jack always talks about something related to death oh Either yeah he's obsessed with it or the death penalty or whatever else else he's talking about death julia kills herself he just found out that carl was giving orders for jack to be killed but giving the orders to his friends because it was Mm -hmm. their car it's just finally revealing that his friends have never really been his friends they're under carl's payroll the whole time and that kind of sets up that scene of their driving down the highway late at night or whatever time it is and one of them pulls the gun on jack has it pointed at him and cards are on the table i'm we're gonna kill you basically you never listened to us you you were never a friend to us all this time and you know we're gonna kill you the guy driving is like well he promised me one of the bars or one of the clubs or something and norman reedus is like he promised to wipe out my debt with my bookie and finally jack starts negotiating as if Mm -hmm. he were in control which is probably what he should have been doing from the very fucking start taking the reins and doing what his father was doing but whatever Mm -hmm. and so we get this whole draw out exchange between the three of them trying to talk them out of killing him and what they're gonna have in his new empire when he's king basically yeah and he's basically offering money the one friend with a gun is listening while the other one is just saying no just kill him you can't trust anything he says eventually the driving friend also pulls out a gun points it at the other friend with a gun and he had this weird almost a mexican standoff but not quite which where the fuck did the second gun come from we were making such a big deal about Reed is having a gun in the first place in the beginning of the movie yeah and now we just have a second gun laying around in the car that no one knew about come on movie you can't just pull guns out of nowhere yeah and I guess the metaphorical gun that Jack has is I'll just flag cars what are you gonna shoot me on the highway (laughs) and get yourself you know in jail for life or murder like and he so that's his you know threat that he can leverage right so they eventually they're fighting and yelling and they eventually just pull over because they get they hear the sirens of a cop and so they're pulling everything's the cop and you see the mexican car behind and you're like wait something's off 
was the cop pulling over both of them what's happening and then the mexican people show up yeah and this is where like i still didn't believe that they were cops until the very very end of this movie (laughs) because they're just dressed in plain clothes and like wearing jewelry and stuff and they're driving around this car with neon lights on it (laughs) Yeah, at this point, I still think they're just Mexican mobsters or whatever who put a police sound effect on their car for their own benefit somehow. Yeah. So they pull them over and they're like, Joe, Jack, we're your guardians. And they shoot the other people. (laughs) Yeah, they just shoot them all to fuck. (laughs) And they basically tell Jack, like, don't worry about it, bro. We're your guardian angels. We'll take care of all this. And uh, you didn't see anything. Wink, wink. (laughs) And so Jack runs off at this point, like, through the graveyard. Oh, yeah. We've looped back to our cold open. That meant nothing and still doesn't mean much right here. You know why? Because we watch exactly what happened in the cold open. He falls down. I think he sees his father's feet again or something. Mm -hmm. And then he wakes up in the hospital. So, yeah. Literally learned nothing from that cold opening and it does nothing here. Yeah, it's like the, the strongest, if you're really, like, jumping over backwards trying to find a meaning for it is like guess something to do with death which is a very general theme but like it's not tied concretely to anything that's actually happened it's just like oh no death is involved graveyard scary i'm edgelord because of the cold open were we supposed to think that he died there running into the graveyard and falling over because if that's what we were supposed to think i didn't even think that because once again i'm sorry main actor but it was not a convincing portrayal of death if that's what you were going for it wasn't even a convincing portrayal of passing out it just looked like you stumbled onto a grave (laughs) i have no idea but you're right he wakes up in the hospital he has a patch over his eye and he's like oh look at this uh fragment of a skull that was in my eye and he has this tiny little sliver of what's supposed to be bone which is a reference to hamlet when he has the actual skull right which shakespeare normally doesn't use such like obvious symbolism of death but in this case he did and he's doing the whole shit what's the that part of the play what is it he's saying um he's like talking almost to the skull but about it to be or not to be yeah doing the whole fucked up 90s version of the to be or not to be speech breaking bad guy yeah jonathan banks is there and he's just like jack you gotta get your shit together you could have been dead (laughs) (laughs) they they both are like listening and they can kind of see the writing on the wall where they're like you know i'm sure they're questioning why the skull fragment was in my eye and i'm sure they're calling the cops and banks is like all right we gotta get you out of here and that's when jack is listening and he hears like the nurses or someone talking behind the curtain next door about um blah 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 they're at a party pregnant and realizes oh it's julia pulls about the line and it's and she's dead yep and then we get the overly dramatic i'm gonna hug her dead body and sob over it thing meanwhile lawyer and i think carl are coming into the emergency room at the same time maybe carl wasn't there i know lawyer was there but lori was there mom was there for sure and then i think the other figure was a doctor and it goes into slow motion as they're trying to pull jack off so they can get to julia and the most hilarious thing happens that happens in this movie this is why this movie is actually a comedy oh okay is they start trying to pull jack off and the doctor like tries to pull him off as well and banks just socks him in the face (laughs) and the foley work the classic like batman pow (laughs) the adam west sound effect of a punch (laughs) 
And then the scene ends. Pretty classic. <laughs> My only note was that when he reached for Julia, there's a shot of like his hand pulling back the sheet or whatever to uncover her face. His hand has like a fucking leather bracelet, a thumb ring, and all this shit on his hand, not to mention the chipped nail polish. And once again, what the fuck was going on in LA in the late 90s? Why is this man wearing so much shit? He's in the club scene. He's too deep. God damn it. Ugh. And he's just going on about how he loved her and it's like, yeah, you loved her so much, you wouldn't let her speak, you only talked to her when it was convenient to you and when you wanted sex. Also, you fucking raped her and ignored her all the way to the point where she decided being hit by a car was better than being alive. Yeah. Oh, God. But Jack and his mom make up, so they're fine with each other now. They're not mad anymore, so. That's good, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> This is where we transition into the, the final section of the movie, which is the showdown, essentially. We have this nice scene of the pants and the shoes, and we pan up, and instead of it being the father, it's Jack, and he's come into the club as a showdown. Just prior to that, you have the setup of Carl. Basically, if there was any doubt before, there is none now that Carl's a smart person. I'm going to put a hit on him. We're going to make it look like a robbery, so me and her, the mom will have a good relationship. And, and just as a backup, I'm also going to poison the champagne because i have a two plans for everything yeah and who's this guy that plays bruce maury chaken people you would recognize him he's a character actor that's been in a ton of shit uh my cousin Vinny dances with wolves mouse hunt like just a ton and ton and ton of shit he's fucking great and he's really good in this movie but this whole scene of him and carl bruce and carl talking to each other in the uh freezer at the club mm -hmm. it's just perfect both of them are playing it just right where bruce is like but why would you do this boss and then carl's just like <laughs> because i'm not a fucking idiot you moron shit like that like it's played really well yeah it's very like pinky in the brain feeling <laughs> Yeah. There is a, a moment that it almost like shocked me out of the stupor that I was in watching this movie was when like some other guy comes in to like take something out of the freezer and they like bark at him like <laughs> wild animals <laughs> and he immediately leaves. It reminded me of the Sopranos. Oh, everybody just turns and does something at the same time. That's setting up the situation. Here's my problem with the whole thing is, okay, so we hired this guy to act like it's a robbery and shoot him, but we're also poisoning the champagne. I guess because that's one of the things that was done in the play so we need to do it here too I I guess you know I you can I think you could easily be like there's no real reason for him to poison the champagne like the shooting is enough like they've shown that they are not afraid to be very brash yeah. about their actions in the play I do know he poisons the champagne the mom accidentally drinks the champagne instead of Jack or instead of Hamlet and that's why she died and then the other part of it was that they were using poisoned blades to try and fight and kill Hamlet and three or four different people end up getting stabbed with the poisoned blades so that they all die. Mm -hmm. And I guess the equivalent to that, quote unquote, here is the guns. We really do not need the poisoned champagne in this version of the story whatsoever. It could all just be guns because we're going to mm -hmm. shoot the mother anyway. That's what is ridiculously over the top for me. If you want to keep the poison champagne, have the mom drink the champagne and that's how she dies. Fine. Don't have her drink it and then also have her immediately get shot. Yeah, it's it's clearly just in there as reference to the play and, and is in 
needed at this point. But the the synopsis of this last scene, Jack comes in, confronts Carl. Carl's like, oh, you know, I underestimated you. Sorry about that. You know, I think you're someone I could work with. Go get the champagne. And so they're pouring it and he's talking to him. And as he's pouring another glass or something, turns to the side, his mom comes in. She drinks the glass. Carl tries to stop her. Before she even gets in there, Jack's just like mouthing off to Carl and he's throwing all these fucking things at him like what do you think I'm a moron are you a moron and then he starts mixing up werewolf and vampire metaphors see I didn't bring the silver bullets because I figured that your reflection actually does show up in the mirror right but okay writers you should know if you're mixing metaphors you're fucking up and then if you're according to Amazon if you're making a horror movie you should know the difference between a werewolf and a vampire and on top of that you've already had like 30 other movie references thrown into this movie do we really need werewolf and vampire references here too yeah it's it's a weird of like jack calling carl a monster in the most backward way possible the the sequence is the poison champagne is poured the mom quickly like needing a drink with all this yelling downs one before carl tries to stop her and kind of spills some of it on jacks the person that was hired to pretend to be the robber and actually kill jack fires and actually shoots the mom they're like not her him you idiot and starts to shoot at jack who's shooting carl the only note that the killer had was always wears black and the fact that jack showed up in his father's gray suit meant that the killer didn't know and then the mom shows up still wearing black because i guess she's still in grieving he decides to shoot her because all he was told was always wears black Okay. Which is awful instructions. Uh, um, but I guess fits with the line. Jack's fucking aiming his gun at Carl. He shoots Carl. We hear sideways nine fucking shots come out of this revolver that has at most six bullets. I stopped and counted because I was like, that's way too many. <laughs> <laughs> Breaking Bad guy comes out of nowhere and shoots the fake robber, the robber. killer guy mm -hmm. after he shoots Jack. Then we're just sat here with Breaking Bad guy holding Jack on the floor with a shitload of people bleeding out. You thought it was over. And that's when the Mexican mobsters slash cops show up, say, get out of here, everybody. And then, you know, look and see, okay. Carl's dead, mom's dead, Jack's bleeding out. Breaking Bad, um, <laughs> Banks, uh, he's, he clearly like looks over at the mom. He's like, oh, she's going to be fine. The ambulance is on the way and like forces Jack's head away from the mom. Yeah. She's like, okay, that's kind of cool. And But then the Mexicans are like, hey, yeah, we're cops. And clearly they actually are. They have badges. They have radios. They've called in for backup. Yeah. So clearly they are. But they're also like, oh, we also do some work on the side for the, I forget how they put it, like Mexican-American. American entrepreneurs or something yeah. like that basically the mexican mob or the cartels yeah and they offer hey jack sell us all these properties you have we want them there's a negotiating scene where they go back and forth eventually land on a number that jack feels makes his dead dad proud i think it's something like 78 million or something like that and breaking bad guy gets a million dollar signing bonus so he's taking yeah. care of the one person that's always been loyal to him. And then that's that's it, right? Eh, not, it fades out from there, right? Uh, you, you would think the camera would just pull back, fade to black, credits. But no, 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 no. We have to listen to Jack prattle on. They say that heaven is a place in the heart where the living keep the dead 
safe and happy. So just remember me. I'll go to heaven. And then we get a shot of Ghost Dad floating up through the ceiling. And finally, Jack dies. And we can move on with our lives and get over this fucking movie already. <laughs> this was the longest feeling 90 minutes of a film I think I've ever watched. I agree. Yeah. So much just like back-to-back different scenes slamming you. Oh, you're over here now. You're here now. Turn around. Look down. Look up. Jumping across the city a hundred fucking times. I don't know, man. It's so fucking rough. If you watch the credits, you'll notice that Christoph Beck composed the music for this one. Klaus, can you just read off some of those movies for me again? Yeah, yeah. Frozen 1 and 2, Ant-Man, Buffy, American Maid, Trolls. But, like, just a huge list. Little Brother, <laughs> Get Rogue, Hard, Hot Tub Time Machine, Hangover. <laughs> Let's Be Cops, Edge of Tomorrow, R.I.P.D., The Internship, The Hangover 3. It goes on and on, all the way back to 1993 with White Fang. Yeah, he's been around for fucking ever. You've seen his name a hundred times, whether you picked up on it or not. And he's the one that did the music for this movie as well. I'm still confused as to how Stacy Title and her husband got all these great people to work with them to make this film. I get that a bunch, not a bunch, but a lot of the actors in this movie weren't big at the time. Like, this is before they had their big breaks and stuff, but it's a lot of good actors in this movie shitload of them to be honest i mean you got great people working behind the scenes too and i'm not saying stacy title and jonathan penner are horrible movie makers or anything they do have clearly plenty of skill behind them and they have some great thoughts in there it's just the final execution wasn't quite what it could have been if they had been more focused so what do you think i mean overall we talked about this movie for a little while went almost scene per scene tied it into hamlet once again i didn't have a chance to read hamlet so i can't do a direct comparison i do understand that they changed several plot points in the movie to kind of make it its own thing while still really holding on to the hamlet stuff mm -hmm. i hate to say it i'm gonna give this a 5.5 out of 10. I think this could have been a pretty damn good movie if two things happened. A, take your script, really focus on which points you want to hammer home the most, cut out at least half of the big social and political statements that you're trying to make, and focus on the other ones. Just pick a couple. Focus on those. It would help the script out a lot and quit trying to write like people that you are not. Some of these scenes were absurdly well written and they played perfectly. They were funny. They were interesting. Some of them were purposefully gross and it worked and overly sexual. But then you had other scenes that sounded like they were trying to write like either Shakespeare or Tarantino or someone, someone other than themselves. It didn't feel genuine, didn't feel real. No matter how good at acting the people were, I don't think they could have made it feel real and genuine. On top of that, drop the ego a little bit. I say let Jonathan Penner and Stacey Title co-direct this together and get a different lead actor. It's not that he was bad throughout the movie. 
but the parts where he was bad, it really stuck out. And especially when you're lined up against all these other actors who I personally think are great and all have great performances in this movie. I think if you find a lead actor who also gives a great performance throughout the entire movie, you got a damn good movie on your hands. So yeah, 5.5, I think it could have been somewhere more around a 7 or an 8. If you'd fix those things. Mm-hmm. What do you think, Klaus? Tell me. I liked the movie. I think I came in thinking it was going to be really poor. And so it was much better than I was expecting it. Mm. So I think that's why I kind of liked it. I would not watch it again. And I wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> and, it's, and it's not necessarily that it's it's a bad movie. It's just it's not my type. It's like feels gritty for the sake of being gritty. It's, it feels like gross for the sake of being gross. And it's just not my type of movie. Even if I don't necessarily think they did a bad job of it. I think my taste is not this not this movie yeah i I definitely would only recommend this movie to people who are into these types of movies because yeah it it is it is gross for the sake of being gross like you said and over the top Mm -hmm. for the sake of being over the top but not in a fun way overall like with the connection to hamlet i think they did a pretty good job of showing the unhingedness of jack but beyond that the connections to hamlet were with the exception of a few quotes were more general plot direction and not really tight tight lines to it but those are my general thoughts on the movie it was it was fine it was okay <laughs> not my cup of tea but it was it was a cup of tea those you know <laughs> It did service. It is what it is. So what? what's next? How does this fit into, you know, the movies we've seen and what you think we're going to see? So, so far, we've only done two Shakespeare adaptations. Secretly, we've done three. But I don't know if or when that bonus episode will drop. So we'll see. At this point, I like Romeo plus Juliet more. I think I gave it a lower rating than this. But I think I like that style more where you stick with the original script and just change everything else. I think I like that style more than trying to update everything to a more modern feel. And we'll we'll see how that, if it stays like that or if it changes as we go on. I know our other two movies for this month are similar to this adaptation where they're taking the original storyline and putting it in modern day and continuing on with that trend. I don't think we're not getting anything else like Romeo plus Juliet because that is just an anomaly (laughs) all on its own. Or did you have anything you wanted to say about like the subgenre so far and anything like that? In in general, I do like the idea of not purely using the Shakespeare language. I like the idea of modernizing that. I just didn't like the grittiness of this movie, and that's a personal taste of mine. I'm sure plenty of people like that kind of stuff, but like I just don't. Yeah, excited to see what comes next. I can tell you about half of viewers don't like <laughs> this movie. So. <laughs> I mean, it's it's got a 5.1 on IMDb. Like, it's just over the halfway mark. It'll be okay. (laughs) So, I need to do some backtracking. I'm sorry, everyone. Uh, This past month or so has been really crazy for Klaus and I. We haven't been able to record or edit nearly as often or as quickly as we normally could. So... 
we kind of missed a couple of weeks and because of that we're running into October and honestly I have another Shakespeare adaptation episode in the can. I just need to finish editing it and get it out to you. So that's what's going to be coming out next week is She's the Man 2006. We originally planned for this episode to be out at the end of August but because of time constraints we couldn't get it out in time and unfortunately because of time constraints we couldn't get our other 90s Shakespeare adaptations out this month. I'm sorry, but hopefully this will make up for it a little bit. We're still going to keep trying to pump out the episodes. Other than that, get ready for October. We're about to start recording our October series, and it's going to be spooky, scary, hopefully a little funny. So next week, She's the Man, 2006, directed by Andy Fickman, starring Amanda Bynes. I know it's not 90s, but it's an extra episode. Take what you can get, folks. I'm really sorry. <laughs> and we'll see you next week for that. Love ya. But yeah, that's it, Zach. So yeah, that's it. This has been Real Specific. We'll see you next week. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to the show. I just want to remind everyone that we have a Twitter account at Real Specific where I will post updates and any memes and things that we produce. And if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, please reach out to us at realspecificpod at gmail.com. Or drop by our anchor.fm page to leave us a voice message that can be added directly into the show. Thanks again, and enjoy. Enjoy.